This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 9, Episode 11. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network of podcasts. Brought to you by new title sponsor, Guns.com. We're honored uh, to be paired up, partnered up with, I guess, with Guns.com's new title sponsor of the podcast. Uh, We'll talk some more about their sponsorship here in a moment. Today is Tuesday, October 3rd, 2023, as of the recording of this episode. Coming to you a day earlier than it normally would uh, due to some various circumstances. I got Matthew here with me. Of course, I'm just I'm just uh, the pretty face of the show hosting it. Matthew is uh, <laughs> is the wisdom side, you know, oh, yeah. producer of the show. Yeah. <laughs> How you doing? I'm doing fantastic, man. Thanks for asking. Just happy to be here with you. <laughs> Bust some myths and yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. Today's episode, we're going to be myth busting, shooting fundamentals, grip. Uh, we started a few episodes ago. We said, hey, we're going to do a series of episodes where we kind of myth bust some stuff. And we thought we would start with uh, the fundamentals, as people like to term them. And so last time we did this episode, we talked about stance and provided our thoughts on that and where we think people get stance right, where we think they get it wrong. We're going to do the same thing today about grip. All right. And grip is hugely hugely important and i see many good things out there in the interwebs about grip and i see many not so good things and some of those things we touch on i I think will be different than maybe what some of you expect Um, so we'll see where the discussion leads us here today as was mentioned uh new title sponsor guns.com and also they're going to be today's episode sponsor and i will share some some info about them here in a little bit in the episode, uh, but check them out. Guns.com, whether you want to buy your next new gun or sell your next new gun. They buy guns or a bunch of other things, including a giveaway you can join uh, from Guns.com. So we'll give you those details here in just a bit. So stay tuned. Yeah, I think you'll want to join in on that, that giveaway. I mean, why not have a free opportunity to win a, a gun, right? Good to have a few of you watching us live on Facebook and YouTube. Good to see your name pop up in my feed, Christy. Uh, She says, I so hope Dave Harrington watches this. We've had so many conversations about this. Well, uh, if if Dave happens to see this, you happen to send it to him, uh, then I anticipate getting a phone call from Dave. What's up, dude? And then a two-hour conversation will ensue. And and I will certainly (laughs) look forward to that. So let's go ahead and jump into it, Matthew. Uh, what is what's the first thing that you want to throw out there? Like, where should we start when we talk about busting the myth of grip? Mm. So first, we did uh, we did stance, right? That was the yeah. first one we did. So I don't know how we didn't get much hate mail for that. So I think we, you know maybe we uh, we need maybe, to turn it up a little bit. Maybe we did. I just ignored it. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So grip, I think, I think that there's, I'm trying to think of where to start with this. Um, I think maybe the, 
tip the traditional thought of grip. Um, certainly we can talk about like pressures. I think that that's like, you know, how much grip force and all this stuff. But I think like just from the beginning, we can throw out like, um, teaching stuff like the teacup grip or, um, grabbing your wrist, you know, those, those type of movie grips that have nothing, you know, I, I'm pretty sure most of our listeners are, are well beyond, um, falling into those types of traps. And I, I don't think we're actually going to, you know, I don't know if you want to like go through and explain what a proper grip is. Um, but those are certainly not where we want to start. Um, I think maybe the big controversy might be like, um, or not the big, one of the controversies, uh, might be like a thumbs forward grip versus like a thumbs high grip or, you know, um, I, I think that there's some differences between, Hey, I even saw some with, with, at the, uh, at the conference, like some students going from, uh, one instructor, Hey, they taught, you know, me to get my, you know, my thumbs forward, um, you know, versus kind of like, just like a, uh, more of a relaxed thumbs. Um, and they were kind of talking about that. So I don't know. Um, I don't know where you want to start. Um, but I, I think that might be one of the controversies that we could kind of bust or talk about. I don't know. Well, uh, I mean, what's one thing that in the modern, cause I, I agree with you when you said, uh, you know, we're not here so much. I don't think to talk today about, you know, the teacup grip and things like that, because I think most of the world has gotten on board with stuff like that, not being the right approach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let me, let me start us off a little bit with, uh, some, I guess, history, if you will, um, or, or I guess, I don't know, historical context, right? You know, I had this conversation a little bit with some of my attendees of a lecture or presentation I did at the Active Self-Protection National Conference just over this last weekend. Speaking of which, fantastic conference. I mean, I'm pretty partial to our own conference, but, you know, having attended and taught at the ASP or the Active Self-Protection National Conference now for three years. It is a lovely event. And of course, it goes to a good cause supporting uh, uh, the uh, Flint Hills Foster Teen Camps program there near Manhattan, Kansas. It's absolutely worthwhile. Uh, and frankly, I think you should attend their event. And I think you should attend our event, uh, folks. I think uh, they're, they're both unique and different and have a lot of great training opportunities. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think people get a lot out of, of both events, right? Um, on the, the third day of the event in the morning, I did a presentation on kind of the evolution slash history slash, ev- uh, development, if you will, of the competition shooting sports. And some of that, you know, included, uh, quite a bit of historical context. And in that we were talking a bit about, you know, how the handgun, I mean, one of the reasons why it's called a handgun is because the full name originally was it was called the one hand gun because up to that point in history, I mean, you shot a gun and you ideally shot it with two hands and that was in the form of a rifle. So, you know, you're gripping the the tang of the rifle 
pressing the trigger with your dominant hand and you have your four or your other arm extended out on the, on the, uh, the, uh, you know, on the, uh, front end of the rifle hold, you know, supporting it. Right. So up to that point, if you use two hands, it was cause it was a rifle or a musket. And then if you used a, a pistol, you used a, used one hand, right? So it's the one hand gun. And that carries over into interesting things like the NFA, the National Firearms Act passed 1934, where we define pistols or handguns as being those things which are intended to be shot with one hand. And I've got just a, we'll call it a prop gun. Hopefully the YouTubes and Facebooks of the world don't get get me in trouble here as you know use an example here with a barrel blocked vp9 um so the one hand gun right so that was i mean that was your grip (laughs) you gripped it with one hand right uh how much to that i mean you can get into some nuance for sure as far as how you're applying different grip pressures or whatever between the front strap the back strap how you're placing your finger on the trigger, that kind of stuff. But over time, uh, people evolved and are, you know, like, hey, what if I shot my pistol with two hands? That seems like that would be advantageous. And so we got smarter about it. But I think as you look at the evolution of such things, initially, I think the thought process, Matthew, was, well, let's just support the gun, mm-hmm. right? And so I, that's where you see this teacup grip come from. It's like at first, so the evolution is basically we shot guns with one hand and now let's get this other hand involved, but it's just really a rest. And you can kind of see why that would make sense. And then, you know, through further evolution, we figure out, oh, wait, we can actually get both hands on there and be doing work. And actually, more importantly, we can make the support hand do a lot of work, which makes stuff like pressing the trigger easier on the other hand. So (laughs) I see. Jacob commenting in here. Can I just teacup it? Well, one, you know, if that if you were in the 1960s, I suppose, uh, or 70s, 6040. See, that's a good one. And I think that's that's a, that's a good example of you know when people start talking about like different grip pressures, and 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 mm-hmm. I think that would be something good to, to touch on. So um, that's kind of where my mind is at, Matthew. Is is we don't want to talk about so much. Uh, maybe some of the things that are, I think, bygone eras in time in that I think most of the world is on board with teacup grip is is not ideal. So let's let's focus on some of their stuff. And, I, and maybe we, we kind of focus on uh, this example that Jacob just pen- mentioned of mm-hmm. grip pressures, uh, 60-40, meaning the idea here being that uh, you would grip with your support hand 60% of the pressure and your firing hand or dominant hand with 40% of the pressure. And I've heard similar name numbers uh, mentioned by various instructors over the years, 60, 40, 70, 30, stuff like that. What's your thought on applying percentages to each hand involved in the grip? So, so I'll be completely honest. Like when I first started shooting, I heard that I, it, I said, well, it makes sense, right? Like, all right, I want to apply more grip with this hand and a little less grip with this hand. And that was 
my entry into it, then I hear somebody put a percentage. I'm like, hmm, that sounds really good. That sounds really smart. Like, wow, 60, 40, it adds up to a hundred. It's gotta be right. You know? Um, but then like under like a little bit of further examination, it's like, what is 60%? Like, how do you, how do I know if I'm getting 60% grip or 70 or 65 or I mean, 50, 50. I, I, so the percentage thing I think was more like, um, trying to say, okay, well you want to engage this hand more than this hand. And, and I can understand that, that concept. Um, but as you know, studying more and, and kind of learning as you go and, and getting information from multiple sources and actually like testing out these things, um, you find that like it, if I could put a percentage on it, I would say like a hundred percent with my, my dominant hand and a hundred percent with my, my not, I mean, they should both be engaged in gripping the gun, um, as much as is necessary. Like, you know, like I don't, I don't think that there's really a, a reason to grip the gun less unless you're gripping it so tight that like you're starting to shake or, you know, something like that. So, um, I, I as far as grip pr- pressure, I would just, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't su- subscribe. I wouldn't be a subscriber to the 64 or 50, 50 or whatever the percentage type thing. Yeah. Much like you, I remember at some point in my life hearing, you know, this idea of 60, 40, 70, 30, and, even reset it or restated it myself uh, a number of times, you know, in my earlier years as an instructor, because like you, I think I, yeah, it made sense. And I do think that it helps communicate the idea that both hands are doing work, but we want the support hand in as far as that, that relationship, that ratio, we want this one doing more of the work. And why is that? So, you know, when the firing hand, the primary hand gets too, when it's too tense, when it's, you know, and when we grip firmly, like we're creating tension there. So when that we're, when we're doing that a lot with the firing hand, then the trigger finger becomes less able to, uh, to, to function, to manipulate, you know, as we add more and more and more, and you can test this yourself. If you leave your hand relatively loose, you can sit here and flick this finger back and forth, back and forth, back and forth pretty quickly. And then as you add pressure and tension, this gets harder to do and, and especially to do it in a repeatable articulated fashion. And at some point you kind of start getting sort of these little glitches where sometimes it works and sometimes at least that's how it works for me. And so uh, more tension in the firing hand means less articulate articulation ability in my trigger finger. Well, we know that being able to press the trigger well is important. And so that's not ideal. And, And the other thing I could tell you is that adding more and more pressure with the firing hand, um, makes it so that we can't work the trigger as quickly as we might want to. So backing off that pressure allows this trigger finger to work more effectively and and more quickly. Uh, You know, when people talk about, Hey, how do I get those super spicy splits? Uh, I will tell you if, if that's something that you want to be able to achieve, 
you need to be able to learn how to modulate that grip pressure and to probably back it off more than what you're used to. And that's what I basically have to do. So then that, that means I got to put in a lot more, like the, the support hand really can't, um, it can't slack off at all. Like it has to really be engaged, really doing its job. If I'm letting this one sort of relax a little bit, nothing too crazy. Like it's still going to be firm, right? It's just that if I'm going to let some of the pressure off with the firing hand, then I've got no room for, for error in the support hand. So um, anyway, all that to say that we kind of, we're going to talk about the 60, 40 concept of some kind of percentage being applied the way I like to describe it, Matthew, and I think this is where I want to bust the myth, uh, is that things are more nuanced than the simple cookie cutter answer of, well, you know, just apply this 60% and 40% grip pressure relationship, which you can't define because you don't know exactly how much that is. And that's okay. You know, like that's, that's what I want to say that first off I would bust and I would say what I really want is my support hand being involved and that it is applying a hundred percent of its potential grip strength up to the point, but not so far, not to exceed the point where it starts, you know, creating additional problems like creating shake. So if I start gripping, 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 gripping with my support hand, eventually I grip so hard that I start just shaking, right? Well, that's obviously counter. Uh, productive so so but we can grip a lot and we can back that off to where it stables out you know or stabilizes and then you know that's a lot more like that's a good place to be and that's that's how i like to describe it like grip as much as i can uh without creating shake or other problems so what's the right amount for the firing hand well i think that's up to each shooter to discover and to figure out what works best for them through experimentation, because I think that's ultimately what has to happen. But I think a good benchmark or, or guideline is about the amount of grip pressure that you would use to hold on to and swing a hammer. So firm, but it's not a death grip. And if you don't know how to use a hammer properly, well, then uh, I guess we could have a discussion on that. But, you know, <laughs> I've swung a lot of hammers in my in my time over the years and something I used to do for a living in various forms. And, you know, the idea is you let the hammer do the work, right? Not you. Like if you're death gripping that thing and swinging for, you know, all it's all you're worth, uh, that's, that's a counterproductive way of using the hammer. Uh, I mean, it might be effective if you can actually hit the nail consistently. That's one of the problems when you like over grip it and really swing hard, your aim becomes less true on hitting the, the head of the nail. Um, it, but, but also you're just going to tear yourself up and beat yourself to death. You know, the, your, your hands going to hurt, your elbows going to hurt, you're going to get tendonitis, all that stuff. So you just grip the hammer firmly and then you let it do it, do its work. Cause that's, it's a tool and tools are there to do work for us. So that's, that's how I like to describe it. Grip, grip the, with the primary hand firmly, kind of like, like a hammer, but then the support hand, ah, it can, it's the one that really needs to be heavily engaged. Yeah. I would even say like this whole 60, 40 concept can actually be detrimental in a way. Um, if, 
you know, cause our, our dominant hand is going to be stronger, inherently stronger. Um, and I think that we can overdrive the gun a little bit if, um, if consciously we're saying, okay, I got to put more grip on my dominant side hand. Right. And naturally we're already going to have, we're already predisposed to have stronger grip in that area. So I think, um, I, I, I even like in, in my, myself, like I can tell, like if I start getting tired, um, it's usually my support hand isn't engaged as much. And I can tell, that you know hey re-engage it that's usually where i can see okay and, and that's something i catch and i say okay that's probably i need to so you know when i when you start getting tired out um it's probably not your dominant size you, you know th- that is a little bit more maybe developed you know not maybe not for you you're a bilateral monster you know but like for me um you know normal human beings i have a I have a, a weak side that's is, isn't as strong as my other side, but, um, but, you know, and so I think the whole idea of, um, of 60, 40 might actually, uh, you know, be detrimental if, if we start, um, overdriving the gun off target. Yeah. Yeah. Good, uh, good comment here from Elky on Facebook. He says, I just spent two days with Dave Spaulding, and he also poo-pooed the percentages. It's enough pressure to maintain the pistol firmly without shaking. So it's pretty much in line with what I just said uh, and what you just said. And Elky, I'm jealous uh, that you were able to be in that class with Dave and with, uh, let's see, I think it was Rich Nance and uh, Andrew Bertain, who are all friends and uh, – had I not had another commitment to be at the Active Self-Protection National Conference teaching, I would have been sorely tempted to be a part of that class because I, I always enjoy spending time on the range with Dave and Andrew and those guys. So hope you had a great time. Hope you got a lot out of it. Uh, so here's where I'm going to uh, come at it now with kind of another, I guess, let's talk about a, you know, I guess a myth or I don't know if all these are like true myths per se, but just sort of like, different concepts and ways or teachings or techniques uh, that people talk about or use when they're, when they're do, you know, doing grip. And so here's probably my big thing, Matthew, is that what I have observed in the firearm training community, uh, it's, I mean, it's very much a thing now. It has been a thing for a long time will probably still continue to be a thing. And that's, you know, it, it, that's to be expected, I suppose, with such things. But what, what I find to be the big myth with regards to grip is that for a lot of firearm trainers and instructors and shooters is that they, they and I'm not saying this is true for everybody. It's definitely not. But I'm just saying that there are many people that sort of latch onto the idea that there's this one grip that is the right way to grip a pistol and i call bs on that i call that to me is a myth that there's this one true technique and and it simply cannot be true and a simple explanation to follow is well all we have to do is look at any number of the you know the the greats uh in by that i mean world-renowned, world champion, national champion level shooters where we, 
you know, if there's there if there is one true technique, well, you look at Rob Latham, uh, Jerry Michalek, uh Ben Stager, um, Bob Vogel. He's a great example because he his grip is very different from a lot of people's. You know, and I could mention a number of other names, but look at all those different. Oh, Mike Seeklander would be another, you know, another good one to mention, right? You could look at all these guys, right? And there are others. And if we were to put up images of their grips on a screen and you look at them, you go, well, some are more close to others than, than others, but they're yet still all unique and different in some way, mm-hmm. right? And some of them are extremely diff- different. I mean, Jerry puts his, his finger of it, his index finger of his support hand up on the trigger guard. Okay. Not very many people do that anymore, especially at the high level. Uh, one other example of a shooter, a high, high, high level shooter that does that. He's, I mean, he's, he's probably the best in the world right now, frankly, which is Eric Graffel from France also hooks that trigger guard with his finger. Okay. Meanwhile, you have a lot of instructors that would say that's wrong. Mm-hmm. But is it though? You know, when Eric Graffel hasn't won a major or hasn't lost a major match in twenty plus years, and is a I think eight or nine time Ipsic World Champion. I mean, and Jerry. I mean, everyone knows who Jerry Mitchellick is. Obviously, the guy can shoot. So mm-hmm. you're going to say that that's wrong? Now I'm not going to say the trigger guard hooking technique with the finger is the ideal thing for most people, but obviously it can work, (laughs) right? And then you look at Ben Vogel, again, talk about extremes here and just how much of this overcamming of his support hand he does. Uh, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous, frankly. I mean, he, he over, he cams over his support hand so far, he could hook the front of the trigger guard with his (laughs) thumb, you know, and so, like that's 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 really extreme, com- you know, compared to somebody with a more neutral grip, like a Rob Latham or a Ben Stager, right? Mm-hmm. So my my point to all this is that these are all very 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 good shooters. Oh, we could look to similar examples amongst the 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 women shooters as well. I mean, everyone knows Lena Michalek, but we could look at uh, Jesse Harrison. We could look at. Um, you know, uh, the uh, Williams sisters, Justine and Jaylise, um, who are multiple, all, um, all these names I've just mentioned are multiple time national world champions, right? Same thing. They all yeah. grip a little bit differently. So the point is, there is not one true technique to grip, but yet there are people that act, that act like there is and mm-hmm. that teach like there is. And then they'd rather focus on teaching their grip, like, this is my, you know, this is my grip, and this is clearly the right way to do it. Look, it works. Ba 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 ba. You do a demo, and you're yeah. like, "See, this is the one true path." But that's ignoring all these this other evidence of that it's not about a specific technique. And my counter to all this, Matthew, and this is how I prefer to teach it these days, is I prefer to teach principles that are involved in how the grip's applied because the the one thing that you can point to with all those examples, all these names I mentioned is that they're all doing 
in some way. They're abiding in some fashion with those principles. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, if you didn't say that, I'm so glad you said principles. I was actually, I was having uh, coffee this morning with somebody and talking and we weren't talking about shooting or anything. It's completely different. Um, and I was telling him like, I, I, it's easy for me sometimes to make decisions and to do, you know, in, in, in to uh, navigate certain issues because I feel like I live by principles. I, and so, it, you know, I might not have the individual answer, uh, you know, fleshed out in my head of how I'm going to do this, but I have principles that guide me in how to, how to handle those things, you know? And so I think, you know, if we looked at, there are grips, there are probably principled things that are in common. And then there are things that individually they apply in a way that works for them in their specific hand geometry, the gun geometry, um, you know, even grip strength and grip pressures and, and all that finger length and all kinds of stuff like that, that they found out what works for them. And I, I think that like, you know, there are certainly top level shooters that aren't great instructors and there are great instructors that aren't top level shooters. Like it's it, certainly there's crossover there, but like, I think what ends up happening is, you know, somebody's a, a good shooter. They learn a truth that works for them and then they want to teach other people, which is great, but it takes time to see uh, many different people come through and work with them and figure out, okay, this works for me, but if I, this person can't do it and, and, or this works for them and, and how can I help them apply these, you know, these principles to make them shoot better? It might be my grip, but it might be a little tweak or it might look a little different. And so I think like that's where, you know, um, it, it, you can actually speak to other, other types of shooting, other types of grips, other, um, those other things it, because you've seen it before and you've worked with people and you found out what works. Maybe it doesn't even work for you, but it works for that person. And, you know, I'm not one of those people that is like, well, if it works for you, you know, throw out every, all the principles to the wind. Like we still, there are some things that we should certainly sh I mean, you can't just say like, oh, I, I like the teacup grip. It works for me. And it's like, dude, the teacup grip is like, like you can do so much better. It, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, just do whatever works for you, but don't get thought, you know, don't get caught into a dogmatic approach that like, it must be this, your hand must be this far forward. You must apply 60, 40, your arms have to be, you know, like your elbows cocked out and like that that's hopefully it works for you, but mm -hmm. if it doesn't, uh, where do you go from there kind of thing? So, yeah. Yep. I'm going to come back to, to something there. Uh, but before we forget here, let's make sure we speak to our newest sponsor of the podcast, which is guns.com. Uh, we appreciate them, you know, for becoming our new title sponsor of the podcast. Uh, but also for sponsoring this episode today, I uh, want to point out, I mentioned briefly earlier, guns.com is a great place not only for you to buy your next gun, which happens to be one of the most trusted sites by gun owners, 
okay, uh, as it's rated by actual gun owners and purchasers of guns. One of the most trusted sites out there is guns.com, but also they happen to be a resource that you can use to sell your guns. And and get this, it, you don't have to deal with the hassle of, say, like a gun broker where, you know, it's sort of like eBay for guns. No, guns.com will just make it super simple for you where they'll just straight up buy your gun from you and they'll worry about selling the gun. I think that's a great uh, a great approach in their, in, the, in their business model. Go to guns.com forward slash we dash buy dash guns to learn about selling your guns to guns.com. Uh, I mentioned earlier uh, about the, uh, you could join their network as an FFL, their, their, their FFL network. If you happen to be a dealer, it, this is another resource that you can use to get more eyes on your products and to sell more of your guns. Learn more about that at guns.com forward slash join dash the dash network. Okay. And you can find links. Of course, if you just go to guns.com, you'll find these links on their site there as well. If you can't remember quite the uh, actual specific link, just note that guns.com adds new inventory daily, partly because they're buying guns daily from gun owners like yourself. And if you're a military veteran, uh, they have a new ID.me military discount. Many of you are familiar with ID.me uh, uh, site and program. And so there's ways to save money that way if you're a military veteran. And one more reminder, folks, they, they currently are doing a giveaway on a Beretta Model A400. It's a shotgun. You know, it's hunting season. Uh, maybe, you know, most folks around me are more focused on hunting uh, deer and elk and things like that. But uh, it's a really cool shotgun. And you have a chance to win just by entering that giveaway today. You can go to guns.com forward slash contest. All right. So there you go. Guns.com. Thank you so much for sponsoring today's episode of the Concealed Carry Podcast. And folks, we appreciate your support of our sponsors without whose support we wouldn't be able to continue doing this now almost i mean well almost really eight years now since we launched the concealed carry podcast that'll that's coming up i think in oh four or five months crazy to think all righty i was what i was going to come back to matthew uh was let's actually let me just I'll try to be brief. Briefly mention some of the principles of grip. Yeah, because you you brought up the teacup grip again. And one of the reasons why I can use these principles to quickly explain why the teacup doesn't work is because these are the three principles I teach. Um, I, I self, you know, identified these things. There's probably instructors that would uh, perhaps add to this list, I suppose, but th- these work pretty well for me. And it keeps it super simple for my students um, and pretty much covers all the bases with respect to grip. So principle one is what I just simply call fulcrum, which is making sure you get high up on the gun. Because by so doing, we create a high fulcrum so the gun has less leverage over us, right? That's one way that we influence leverage is by changing the fulcrum. And if we're gripping low on the gun, well, now we have a low fulcrum, and now the gun has more leverage over us. So fulcrum, number two. The second principle is making sure we apply leverage to the gun. This is done through how we apply pressure, especially front and back straps of the gun. And we and we analyze this by looking at, well, if my fulcrum is up here, okay, where the primarily where the web of my hand is interacting with the gun, then where's my biggest lever? 
that I get to basically pull on to 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 keep this gun from moving as it recoils so much. And that is down here, especially so on the lower front part of the gun of the or of the grip is where I'm going to have the most influence in terms of leverage because it's the furthest point from my fulcrum and up by applying a lot of good pressure there combined with good pressure near the fulcrum at the back of the gun that's essentially a version of some push pull and you can further enhance that by adding further leverage with the support hand again pressure on the front of the of the grip of the gun and trying to get as much pressure that counters that here at the back along with the fulcrum that can be very effective and then the third thing is grip contact so that is just making sure we get as much contact with the gripping surfaces gripping surfaces of the gun as possible and so we want to get as much of that support hand especially so the meaty part of that hand engaged into the gripping surfaces of the gun and that's going to make a huge difference so those are three basic gripping principles and the teacup does terribly in at least two of them because number one if this is just a support here it's not doing much in terms of adding leverage to the grip and it's not doing much in the way of adding or interacting with contact surface of the of the grip and so it, there you go so that's i mean that's why principles are more important than specific techniques because we can use we can identify those principles and use them to go that grip not ideal and of course the teacup is a very uh, blatant example in that regard there's many other more subtle examples but I find students have great, more, a great deal more success when they think of their own grips and approach it in that manner. And that's what I certainly encourage is look at your own grip and then evaluate it based on these principles and then make changes and tweaks as necessary. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, yeah, that's spot on, man. And, and I think, you know, I think a, a way that if, if I'm just a listener right now and let's say I'm, I'm just tuning in. You're not one of the seasoned dudes that are, you know, that have been following us and have heard us talk about grip m bunches of times. Um, mostly Riley, he's the grip expert dude, but, um, but like, you know, I think the problem is, is a lot of times is, um, you, you, if, if you're teaching yourself teaching and you're teaching, you know, you're going out and you're shooting a lot of times people are shooting slow fire or, um, you know, they're not, they haven't applied these fundamentals. They don't, these principles. And so what ends up happening is they shoot and they adjust their grip in between shots because it's not, they're not applying the principles, these principles at all, or, you know, maybe one out of three or two out of three. And so, um, while you're shooting slow fire, it's okay because you might be able to get through because you readjust each time. But then once you start training, you start putting these under a little bit of pressure where you're shooting follow-up shots or you're, you're doing these things. Um, then that's really where, you know, these principles are really important because the gun has to return the target and because you have to be ready for the next shot, you know? And so, um, this is why I think applying these fundamental or these principles, sorry, these principles, um, yeah, are, 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 are good. And, um, and necessary. 
Here would be an, another less obvious example of what I'd call a grip myth. So it's become quite popularized, Matthew, in recent years, uh, especially so. Uh, I think popularized because, you know, there's a number of higher profile instructors that have gathered quite a following and maybe because of certain things that they've said, not necessarily because they even necessarily mean it a certain way, but, you know, maybe perhaps their their followers uh, end up not fully understanding the context, but just regurgitating, you know, certain phrases or whatnot. And what I mean by this is uh, it's become very popular that when somebody has a shooting problem, like let's say I see it all the time in like Facebook groups uh, where somebody posts up their target. Like they went to the range that day. Uh, they're like, hey, can you tell me what I'm doing wrong? And you see, maybe maybe you see stuff all over. Like maybe you see shots all over, like they shot it with buckshot. Or maybe you see kind of like this classic low left trend, something to that extent. And inevitably there will be... 50%, 60% of the comments made are fix your grip, bro. And this this is this is this is the great grip myth I think of today's era is uh, the this attitude of well fixing your grip will fix all these shooting, you know, deficiencies. And the truth is is it's not that simple and it's a lot more nuanced than that. And and I abhor these catch-all sort of phrases that, uh, you know, give the appearance of me trying to, you know, of people trying to be helpful of, well, here's your solution. Fix your grip, bro. But that also doesn't really help the person understand exactly what they need to fix and also realize that a person can actually have a pretty good grip in terms of, they meet all those principles I just discussed a moment ago, like you know, like they they're placing the hand high on the gun, they're applying good leverage, they're they're getting good grip contact, you know, they're they're gripping firmly even, right? Like all those things can be true, but yet they can still miss low left. And the reason why is because that's a separate issue than just gripping the gun firmly, you know. And so because you can have you you can you can grip for all your worth but if at the moment that you do this with your trigger finger meaning actuate the trigger you also take all of that 150 200 300 pounds of gripping force you know if you're a real monster and at that moment you press a trigger you do this you're okay. gonna still have you know problems uh marksmanship related problems so um so that that's that's I, I wanted to get your perspective on this, but that's something I've sort of observed and I think has become very common in the social media space as this catch-all phrase that fixes all things uh, marksmanship related. And uh, that simply just isn't true. In my yeah. I, I mean, obviously grip is one of the most crucial components of being able to shoot a handgun accurately, um, repeatedly. Um, but but yeah, there, I, and I, I, I cringe anytime I see that because I, the, the person usually wants to elicit, like they're genuinely wanting to get better. Um, but everybody has their own opinion. Everybody comes in, in, you know, in, it's either the, the piss, the NR, or, you know, the old pistol diagnostic chart, um, yep. the circle thing, um, or, 
you know, because a lot of that on that diagnostic chart does talk about, well, you're, you're gripping too much with this hand, you're gripping not enough with this hand, you're, you know, in, so some of that diagnostic chart might be ingrained in people's ideas, or maybe they took classes where it's like, okay, let me bust out your pistol diagnostic chart. And you know, you're, you know, whatever you're, you're, you're gripping too much with this finger, or you're too much trigger finger in here, or whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, I, I think that the issue is, you know, um, we have a natural startle reflex or a anticipation reflex of like, okay, there's something is there's going to be rearward motion. And I think, um, you know, some people, uh, especially new or the worst is, you know, the first gun they ever shot was like a, a shotgun or some crazy revolver, you know, that was overpowered. They didn't know how to grip the gun. They put it in their hand and the gun, you know, scared them. And now they don't know how to grip the gun. They're scared of the ignition. They're scared of that. And so you, you dry fire with them, you have a laser gun, they're hammering it out. It's great. They got a good solid grip and all that. And then you put the live rounds in there and there's that, there's that nervousness, of, Hey, this gun's going to go bang. And, um, you got to work through, through that as a separate issue. So yeah, sometimes it's grip. Sometimes it's, it's other things, but, uh, but yeah, it's not a, it's not like a one all like fix your grip, you know? Yeah. I I think that, uh, you know, again, I think people mean or well-meaning a lot of times, but just regurgitating stuff that they've heard somewhere else and not necessarily really understanding what the issue is uh, that is afflicting the, the, the particular shooter. And I think it's also, this would be another thing I touch on from like kind of a mythic perspective of that just because we have like a really strong, firm, solid grip does not automatically mean we have a good hold and that it's important, I think, to define and understand that there's a difference between gripping the gun which may help with things like recoil management and that which is super important by the way because we want a consistently behaving gun we want the sights to lift and return and come back to the to the same you know lift off point because uh, that helps us shoot more quickly more accurately under speed um, because the gun's you know more consistently behaving uh, and it may help with us being able to hold the gun steadily, but not, 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 that's not a guarantee And that gripping a gun and holding a gun on target and holding it steady. And this is, I mean, and understand when I say hold, it's, it's, it's about holding it steady because that helps with aiming, but it's also about the whole, when I say the word hold, it's also that other piece about holding the gun and keeping it on target while I press the trigger. So as I mentioned a moment ago, you know, you can still be gripping really solidly, but still induce some kind of jerk or anticipate, you know, anticipate anticipatory type flinch, something of that nature. And so grip does not necessarily equate hold. And I think that's important to understand. There's a lot more nuance there than I think probably people give it credit for, uh, and understanding those nuances, I think, is is key. Understanding, too, that, you know, a lot of it is about, like, you want to establish grip pressures in the right place on the grip of the gun. And then it's about maintaining those those grip pressures 
in a static fashion so that it's neutral and, or in other words, unchanging. That's, that's honestly probably the biggest thing that gives a lot of shooters fits is that while they're attempting to fire the shot, they're changing grip pressures. They're trying to press the trigger with the whole hand. So the other fingers are tightening as they're pressing the, with the trigger finger, um, or, or any number of things. Okay. I mean, I've seen shooters that start inducing, you know, the opposite thing of a sort of down and left flinch where they sort of anticipate the recoil coming back and up and actually start lifting the gun themselves in sort of, you know, as if they're, I don't know, helping the gun do what it's going to do anyway. Um, any of those kinds of things are going to be changing pressures in the grip and or even in the wrist itself as we are changing those things, that's all got to stay static. It's all got to be neutral. And again, those things can change and do change and will move even if we are abiding by solid gripping principles. Yeah. And, and I like um, what Christy, she said, uh, that's why a good class with a trained eye and ability to take your needs into account is so important. Like all these things you it's, it's very difficult to self, to, to self-recognize these things early on, like, you know, through once you establish like what works for you and, and what doesn't work and, and you've kind of like gone through this, you know, circle of like, I've tried this, this doesn't work. I've tried this and this sort of works. And, and you work through those things, then you can, you're better able to say, you know what, I, this is, you know, like, like, I, like I know typically, you know, my, my, my support hand starts to get weak and that leads to other problems. And I, and I, I can pick that up, but like early on, I, I couldn't, I didn't know, you know? And so I think this is why getting good training that doesn't just like say, Hey, give me your hands. Let me put you in the right grip, but like explains the the principles of why, so that you can self-diagnose when you go back and you start actually applying this, like, that's the hardest thing for me is when I see, I know like students are going to go home and during, you know, you work through them for the whole day towards the end of the class, they're, they're shooting much better. They're, they're applying those things that you've kind of tweaked and worked on, but then they get home a couple of days goes by, maybe a month or a week or a couple, you know, and they get out to the range and they kind of revert back to some of the, the things that they were doing before. And if you haven't taught them, you know, like, Hey, this is, this is what, these are the principles. And this, when you don't apply these principles, this is kind of what happens. And this is how you can kind of see these things. Then they, they're like, Oh, like what's going on. And they get frustrated. And instead of being able to say, well, what's the principle of like, why am I having to regrip in between each shot? Let me think of those three principles that, you know, Riley talked about, or, you know, and so I think that self-diagnosis um, can happen, but it does take initially somebody with the trained eye that's watching you and saying, Hey man, try this. Or, you know, I see you're doing this, try this and see if this doesn't help out and kind of reinforce those things. So Mm -hmm. thanks for that comment. Well stated. Well stated. Um, yeah, man, I I think I've kind of said everything I came here to say today, but, uh, (laughs) what are some final thoughts if you have any? Yeah, I, I think, you know, as we go through these myth busting things, we're, we're busting, I guess, we're, you know, we're busting traditional, maybe like traditional ways of looking at the fundamentals of handgun shooting. Um, and, 
you know, I think we kind of touched on this, like we're not trying to rewrite anything. I certainly am not smart enough to come up with any of the, you know, this isn't um, stuff that is avant-garde to anybody. Like um, a lot of people teach this stuff. A lot of people um, way smarter than me, um, you know, have, have, you know, apply these types of things. Um, but that alone doesn't mean that we should just adopt it without like testing it. Like, and so whenever you're looking at, you know, fundamentals or marksmanship stuff online, or you go to a class, like, I'm not saying don't trust the instructor. I'm just saying whatever they're, they're teaching you, take that into like your database of, knowledge and see how it applies and and try to apply it and see the principles behind what they're teaching. And then, um, and then I think you'll get much better fundamentals than you would if you just go through the traditional, like, Hey, it's grip stance, you know, breath control, follow through all that stuff. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I like it, man. I think that's, (laughs) those are some good final thoughts to end on here. Folks, I hope this has been a helpful episode for you. Uh, give you some food for thought as you think about your own grips on a pistol. Uh, I mean, it's something that most people, uh, even myself, can always learn more about, especially as we learn more about ourselves individually, our own individual grips, uh, what we what we're afflicted with, you know, weakness wise and not just physically, but just, you know, what are some of the common mistakes or errors that we make? You know, when I have a tendency to always miss a certain way on certain, even on certain targets, like this is one thing I've been thinking a bit more lately about because I'm starting to wonder if, well, I'm sure it's still mental in some, some regards, but I've been, you know, on some of my matches, I've been missing some shots on, steel like mini poppers for instance more often than i'd like to and some of that may just be a discipline issue but i've also been you know thinking a bit more than i have in some time about what am i doing exactly with my grip uh especially as i'm pressing the trigger am i am i changing a grip pressure somewhere that i'm not aware of and so i'm trying to you know watch out for more of that to see you know to to try to you know solve solve the problem you know um and so I love the topic of grip. It's something I've been very passionate about for a long time. Is it something I've worked a lot on over the years? And let's just make sure, folks, that we do it in the best way possible, that we talk about it in the best way possible, that we don't make assumptions, incorrect assumptions especially, uh, that we uh, you know, keep our minds open uh, and don't get locked into thinking that there's only one way or only certain ways of doing things. Uh, I believe that we all have the opportunity and should discover our own best technique, our own technique that works best for us as individuals personally. And so that's where I would leave it. A reminder of today's episode sponsored by guns.com. Hope you will support them so that uh, we can continue doing what we do. If you appreciate this podcast, let us know. You can always hit us up at podcast at concealedcarry.com as a contact email. You can also message us through our Facebook and Instagram accounts. Uh, you can just go to Concealed Carry Inc. On uh, both those sites, you'll find uh, the Concealed Carry pages on Facebook and Instagram. Make sure you're following us if you're not already, but you can message us there. You can send us an email. You can reach out to us through our, our website, which is concealedcarry.com. 
And guys, thanks for everything. Until next time, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Mm-hmm.